Good morning. Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 13, and it um, is found on page 54 of your Pew Bibles. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahirath between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahirath opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Meg, for that long reading. That is such a dramatic story in the Bible. I'm not sure if there are any, well, there are many dramatic stories, but so far in Egypt, in Exodus, this is certainly the most dramatic part. This is the climax of the beginning of the book. This is actually kind of the end of the first half of the book. Um, but it's amazing. It's suspenseful. It's emotional. It's dramatic. Um, it's one of those stories that just about preaches itself. So I could probably just close my book, sit down, and say amen, and you would all be encouraged by just that reading. What I want to do today is to um, help you see what is here. Uh, this is not just a legend. This is not just a story that happened about, you know, to people long ago. This is part of our salvation story. This is our story. And so what does this have for us today in 2022? In a single sentence, 
here's what happened. In one fell swoop, the Lord saves Israel, judges their enemies, brings glory to his name, and wins the trust of his people. That's what happens. If I could distill this down to, to three words, that, uh, three words that summarize this story, the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And the same God who saved Israel at the Red Sea is here with us today, saving us and leading us. So I want to lead you through this story and invite you to listen to how God is speaking to you and how God is leading you. I'm going to break this down in three stages, the setup, the salvation, and the result. The setup, the salvation, and the result. Let's pray. Father, um, guide us, guide me as I lead your people through this story. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that each person here would hear something that they need to hear today. Amen. So the setup, this is uh, chapter 13, verse 17 through 14, 14. So Pharaoh finally lets the people go. We've been through all of the plagues and Pharaoh saying no and yes and changing his mind. And finally, you know, there's the Passover. The people are saved by the blood of the lamb. And then Pharaoh says, get out of here. So the people leave Egypt. They, they hit the road and they don't go alone. God is guiding them. Isn't this cool? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God's very own presence leading and guiding them every step of the way. Wouldn't it be nice if God led us that clearly through life? Well, what the people don't know, but we do know as readers, is that God is leading them into an impossible situation. He's leading them on a, a not the road they would have chosen themselves. The most direct route out of Egypt toward the Promised Land is along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a main thoroughfare, but God knows that road is guarded by Egyptian um, fortresses, by outposts, and the people are not ready for conflict. And so he leads them on the back roads, and they go on a more southerly route and then head east. And he gives them very specific directions Verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. We don't know what body of water this was that they camped by. It was not what we see as the Red Sea on a map today. That was not it. Um, you know, the spur of the Indian Ocean that comes up with the two fingers that forms the Sinai Peninsula. One is the Suez um, uh, Inlet, and from there the Suez Canal connects to the Mediterranean. That was not the Red Sea this is talking about, but it was probably something in that connection between uh, the Red Sea and the Mediterranean. There are many lakes and large bodies of water along the Suez Canal and that's probably one of the ones they hit. It had to be big enough that it was uncrossable on their own. 
So there they are next to this great body of water. Meanwhile, Pharaoh changes his mind yet again. And he wants his slaves back. So he summons his huge army, 600 chariots and foot soldiers, and he marches out after the Israelites. Now God knows this is going to happen. In fact, God is luring them out toward the sea, right? God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it says, which means God uses Pharaoh's own stubbornness and pride, and he sort of endorses that, so Pharaoh will fall into this trap. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped by the sea near pi Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Ziphon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried, cried out to the Lord. I don't blame them for being terrified, do you? Here they are with an uncrossable body of water on one side and this huge army bearing down on them on the other. The army that has kept them enslaved for generations. Maybe they could feel the ground shaking with the pounding of the hooves, getting closer and closer, right? What would you do? It says they cried out to the Lord. I don't think this was a pious prayer. Oh, Lord, in this time of trouble, we beseech thee to send us your aid. I think they're like, ah, oh my God, we're going to die. That's, that's what it's like here. And let's remember, this is exactly where God wants them. Hmm. God led them specifically to this place, hemmed in by the sea on one side, and he called Pharaoh out of Egypt to pursue them. This is where God wants them, and they're terrified. What does that tell us? What does that tell us? You know, we pray for God's guidance. We ask God to lead us through life, and he does. And sometimes God leads us into what we most dread so that he can teach us to trust him, so that he can show us his salvation Maybe your Red Sea right now is a terrifying diagnosis. Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's a, a, a serious bout with anxiety or depression. Maybe it's stress from work. Maybe it's a parenting problem you can't figure out. Maybe it's a, a, an agonizing decision you have to make. And you do not want to be in this place where you are. You can trust, friends, that God has led you there for a reason. You're not there by accident. You're not there because God has abandoned you. You're there because God wants to teach you to trust him. So what's God going to do? To quote Charles Spurgeon, The Lord will make a way for you where no foot has been before. That which, like the sea, threatens to drown you shall be the highway for your escape. Trust, you can trust God. He will come through. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. 
But the people of Israel at this moment aren't feeling that. They don't have much trust. Look what happens. Their terror makes them turn on their leader. Verses 11 and 12. They say to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? And then they blame him and say something that was never true. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. How quickly they have forgotten what God has done for them. Right now their motto is not live free or die, right? It's better to die as a slave than to live in, better to live as a slave than to die in freedom. I think that captures our mindset some of the time. But look, Moses somehow has confidence. He has faith. And over the clamor of the yelling and the screams and the accusations, Moses speaks these absolutely stunning promises. Verse 13 and 14. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. How did he know this? He just had confidence in God. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Wow. It must have been hard to believe those words when you have a, a huge body of water on one side and an army on the other. What is, what's going to happen? What's God going to do? Well, Let's focus in now on stage two, the moment of salvation itself. So that was the setup. God got them there. Now let's look at the salvation. We all know the story, right? The water parts, the people walk through, the Egyptians follow them, they're drowned, the end. But let's really look at this. I always chuckle at God's words to Moses in verse 15. <laughs> Why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Well, God, uh, what am I supposed to do? Raise your hand and, and part the water. Okay. You know, one miracle coming right up, God. No, but really, it's amazing how God involves Moses in this miracle. He's like, Moses, go for it. You know what to do. Okay, so, so um, Moses raises his hand. And uh, the water begins to part. The wind begins to blow. The water begins to part. We're told that an east wind blew all night long, separating the water on both sides. Imagine like the tide going out in two directions at once. People can say, well, that was just the wind. That was a natural phenomena. There's no division here between the natural and the supernatural. God is doing this miracle, and he is using his creation to accomplish it. Why? Because he is the Lord of creation. The same God who, who, who spoke the earth into being and formed the mountains is now using that creation, uh, the, the power of his creating word. He's now marshalling that to save his people. This is incredible. And so at verse 21, the waters were divided. <clears throat> we, may, we may not notice this in a quick reading, but this is the same language as in Genesis 1 where it says God divided the waters 
from the land and made dry ground appear? He's doing it again. He's dividing the water and dry ground is appearing. Guys, this is the God of creation. This is the Lord of the universe saving his people. And so while the angel of the Lord moves and protects his people from the army, another miracle, Moses raises his hand and the wind begins to blow and the seas, the the water begins to part until a path opens up through the sea and the people walk forward. That's all they have to do. They just walk forward. Down the bank, into the bed, with the water on their right and on their left. Can you imagine what that was like? You feel the wind. You feel the squish of the soft seabed under your feet. The smell of the water and the the fish. The sound of thousands of people clamoring and moving and speaking. The moist air on your skin. And the darkness And you walk, and you walk, and you walk. And then the first light of day begins to dawn, and you look back, and you see the army coming after you in the same path. And you look forward, and you see the edge of the the lake, and you get to the other side and look back, and the chariots are getting stuck, and the men are shouting and, and, and yelling. You hear the commotion. And the horses are whinnying. And then everyone gets through and you see Moses raise his hand and the two piles of water come surging back together and you see the horses and the chariots and the wheels and the swords and the armor and the men swept up like twigs in a waterfall. And you're standing there on the bank and suddenly you realize you are totally safe. Your enemy is completely destroyed and you are totally safe. And now the words that Moses spoke don't sound so crazy anymore. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. And you stand there in stunned silence, amazed at what God has done. The Lord saves. What would it have been like to be there and to see that? The Lord saves. And so what was the result? What's the result of God's saving power? Look at verse 30 and 31. There's a summary at the end. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, means from the power, from the clutches of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Now, if I could say it this way, their fear has changed. How has their fear changed? They've gone from being terrified of danger to fearing the Lord and trusting in him. Their terror has been transformed into trust. That's what happens when you see God's salvation. You're no longer afraid of your enemy and of the danger. You have a healthy fear and awe, a respect for, a trust in God. Your fear has changed. 
This is kind of like when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and, and it's, there's a storm. And it says they're terrified of the, the storm. And then Jesus wakes up and he speaks to the waves and wind and it calms down. And then it says the disciples were afraid. <laughs> they were afraid, but now they're afraid in a different way. They're like, oh my gosh, who is this? And this, it's the same thing for Israel. Oh my goodness, our God is amazing. I trust him and I trust Moses. That's faith. That's faith. Now, did they do anything to be saved? No. They were totally helpless, totally in an impossible situation, totally faithless, and God saved them, right? They simply walked on the path God opened up for them. Now, listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, you likewise stand on the shore looking back at an amazing salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he was, let me, let me, let me back up. Let's, let's sort of replay the tape of what just happened to Israel and superimpose what Jesus did onto that and see what Jesus did for us. First, you were trapped in an impossible situation. If you're a believer in Jesus, you know that you were totally helpless in your sin. You were totally powerless in the face of death and in the face of judgment. There's nothing you could do to save yourself. And to be quite honest, you weren't filled with faith that it would be okay. You were, you were, you were lost. You were helpless. You were um, like, what, what do I do about this? Romans 5 verse 6 says, At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't, we didn't say, okay, God, here I am. I'm ready to be saved. I trust in you. I'm, uh, I'm going to walk forward boldly. We were powerless and we were ungodly. If you're a Christian, you recognize that. And so what happened then? Jesus spread out his hands, not over the sea, but on the cross. And in one fell swoop, the cross and the empty tomb, God judged sin and death, defeated sin and death, saved his people, and won our trust. Just like at the Red Sea. Let me ask you this. When did the Israelites trust God? Was it before or after he saved them? It says at the end, then they trusted in God and in Moses, his servant. And so God is not waiting for people to trust him so he can save them. He said, he's like, this is what I have already done. Now trust me. Now turn to me and trust me. And what I want to ask you today is, has Jesus won your trust? Has he won your trust? When you look at the cross and the empty tomb, has he won your trust? When you look at the ways he has, he has um, gotten you out of impossible situations. So on one level, this applies to, to the cross and to what Jesus has done to save us from sin. On another level, it applies to those things in life which are impossible for us to, to get ourselves out of. 
those things which, which overwhelm us, those red seas that we cannot cross. Have you seen God faithful? Has he won your trust? Paul makes a very interesting comment on this story in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, speaking about the people of Israel, he says, They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Huh. That's an odd expression. What does that mean? They were baptized into Moses. Well, they walked through the water, trusting in Moses, and then they um, experienced salvation, right? What about us? If you have been baptized into the name of Jesus, it means you follow him in his salvation. And do you know what the name Jesus means? The Lord saves. The Lord saves. So you're saying Jesus is the one who has saved me. I follow him and I've passed through the waters of baptism to follow him. Many of you I know have been baptized. So today I invite you to renew your baptismal faith. Follow Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Commit yourself to him. Some of you have not been baptized. And I would invite you to do so. Baptism is not declaring what you will do, but looking back on what Jesus has done for you. And so if you have faith in Jesus, and if you have trust in him, he summons you to the waters to be baptized into his name and into his salvation. So talk to me. If you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, talk to me. We could do a service down at the lake before it gets cold. We could do one right here in the baptismal tank. You may have questions about it. Just talk to me. You know, Meg and I were part of an Anglican church, kind of a liturgical church in Illinois before we moved here. Well, even back when we were first married. And they had something called an Easter vigil. Um, It was a tradition started by the early church in the first centuries A.D. when Christians would stay up all night, the night before Easter, and they would retell the story of salvation. And where did they start? Not in Matthew, but in Genesis. And a big part of that story was the, the Red Sea, the Exodus story. And on that night, people would be baptized and follow Jesus. In our church in uh, Illinois, the service would begin in darkness with one candle lit, and a leader would sing these words. And I'll leave you with this. This is the night when you brought our fathers, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt and led them through the Red Sea on dry land. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin and are restored to grace and holiness of life. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell and rose victorious from the grave. The Lord saves. Amen. We have an opportunity now to respond in faith by coming to the Lord's table. 
coming to remember with our bodies to eat and drink, and to remember our salvation. So if you are a believer in Jesus, I would invite you to participate uh, in the Lord's Supper. Uh, In a moment, I'll pray and invite you forward down the center aisle. We come um, in remembrance of Jesus, the new and better Moses, who led his people out of sin and death and who conquered the enemy. So um, if you trust in him, if you follow him, if you need him for salvation— and have uh, trusted him as Lord, this is for you. This is for you. This is for us as a community to remember what Jesus has done. Um, Just a few details. There are some gluten-free wafers in these cups in the center. Everyone else can take bread from the plates and a cup of juice from the tray. Uh, Please come down the center aisle Return to your seats uh, by the sides. Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Jesus, your servant, your son, to break the bonds of sin and death, to lead us out of um, an impossible situation, to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And Lord, today we come and we want you to remind us through this bread and this juice what Jesus did to save us. We want this to be real to us here and now. We don't, we don't want to just be people who um, think of the cross as a distant event, but something that we look to daily for strength, for hope, for trust. We pray that you would imprint on our hearts this morning what you've done for us. We come as needy people uh, to experience your salvation. And we offer this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.